the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, I was thinking about Rudyard Kipling's line, and if if you can keep your head about you and all others are losing theirs, you will be a man. Hard to do uh, in isolation and perhaps part and parcel of the isolation we have been forced into may have been uh, just uh, so that we could not organize, uh, so that we could not collect ourselves uh, so that we could not be um, independent uh, while relying on uh, fellow individual rights uh, Americans. Someone who has pointed so much of this out and has been such a great ally over the last year and a half as we suffer under these things has been Professor Don Siegel, Donald Siegel, the Foundation Professor of Public Policy and Management and Director of the School of Public Affairs at ASU. He has a great piece. He's been with us several times before. A great piece in the... Um, uh, American uh, Daily Independent, uh, AmericanDailyIndependent.com. The Twilight Zone, Hogan's Heroes, and the emotional and the emotional support mask. Professor, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Great to be with you. I should say, in fairness, as we always do, uh, you wrote this article uh, with your uh, colleague of longstanding great uh, academic himself, Robert Sauer, who is a professor of economics at the University of London. So just uh, wanted to put in a compliment to your colleague, uh, Dr. Sauer, as well. Um, Professor Siegel, I'd love to just walk through this op-ed, this essay with you. It's really wonderful. Um it's interesting when you thought of the emotional support mask. Well, let's start there. Title of your, your piece. What, is, what do you mean by an emotional support mask? I think this is the last gasp of the Brant Covidian cult. Uh, you heard it with uh, Rachel Maddow when she expressed dismay at the fact that she might have to take off her mask uh, because it meant that she could no longer virtue signal and simultaneously observe those who didn't have masks on and condescend to them. So I think that we we call it an emotional support mask uh, in the context of having our children masked. That's really what inspired this essay. Right. The thing inspired it is that we continue to mask our children, which is deviant, it's despicable, it's, it's destructive, and it's designed only to protect teachers, not students. And that's shameful because teachers have been treated in a very, very special way throughout this process. In many parts of the country, they haven't had to report to work since March of 2020 physically. They were treated as essential workers. They were uh, given a preferred position in terms of vaccine distribution in many states, including Arizona. And uh, the it's clear that the masking is for their benefit. Not only that, but we now have palpable evidence that the American Federation of Teachers colluded with the CDC to keep the schools closed, to keep the students masked, 
and to keep all of these uh, draconian restrictions on their social interaction in place as well. Uh, and that's despicable. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before. We have, and it, and it, it is an ongoing frustrating element of that which we've been subject to for a year and a half where we have asked these young children not – necessarily 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24-year-olds that we ask to defend us in times of violent war. But we've asked children ages 2 to 18 to sacrifice their mental and social health to protect the aged and uh, unhealthy, uh, previously unhealthy, in many cases mostly obese is what I'm talking about. We've never done this before, Don, at least not in, as I understand, public policy, which usually is framed, is it not, in the pitch of doing something for the children. We do this on behalf of the children, for the children, to save the children, because of the children. That's usually how public policy is aimed. Here it was aimed against them on behalf of the aged. It's an inversion of everything I've known of public policy, or at least sane public policy. It's true. Every policy intervention, for example, during the Clinton era, was justified on the grounds of doing it for the children. Uh, and that's a legitimate argument that you're investing in the next generation. We don't deform the next generation. We don't degrade their mental health. And we don't prevent them from interacting with others, uh, you know, socially. And, you, you know, you've seen... Uh, I love these videos of the kids standing up to the school boards and saying, why are you doing this to us? Why are you torturing us? Why can't you treat us? I can go into a supermarket and not wear a mask now. Those are essential workers. Uh, why, why do the kids have to be masked? And, uh, you know, they still haven't taken that uh, in this state. In other states, they prevented school districts from masking students, but that still hasn't taken place in this state. The accounting uh, issue, uh, Don, um, is what I'm beginning to wonder about. A year from now, six months from now, ten years from now, is there going to be an accounting? Is there going to be a um, – uh, we've had the airing of grievances, but is there going to be a taking up of responsibilities? We now are at a place – you've mentioned – the collusion between the National Education Association and the CDC. As we were told to be following the science, presumably anything that came out of CDC, also known as Mount Olympus, we find that uh, Mount Olympus, the scientists and the CDC, were outsourcing the ghostwriting, outsourcing the writing of their materials to the NEA. Quite literally, the NEA wrote guidance for the CDC. This is the opposite of listening to the science. This is listening to the teachers' unions. Honest to God, how is it any different than how I just said it? It's not, and the irony is that the CDC is responsible for the single greatest government failure of all time. And yet we had the director of the CDC testifying before Congress yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. Of course. Asking for a 23% increase in her budget. So you, you, you create the government failure, and you're rewarded for it. We're talking to Professor Don Siegel from ASU. In this, Don, and we can talk about children in masks and the harm that's been done to them. The studies are there. They don't get a lot of play. It's interesting. They really don't. It's hard. That's an interest. Have you found this in your research? You're an intensive teacher and researcher. Have you found this in your research in the last year and a half that it's harder to get the research it used to be easy to get? I have. 
It is, and, you know, with the evidence of all the damage that's been done by the quarantines and the lockdowns and the quote-unquote reopenings is starting to leak out. Yep. They cannot suppress how much damage they've done to our physical, mental health. Uh, obviously, the economy is, I mean, the cities are devastated. We happen to live in a city that's thriving, uh, you know, but there are major cities in America that have been physically devastated by the quarantines and the lockdowns and the reopenings and will never recover. Uh, they can't recover because the institutions have been destroyed. Don. And then you have crime. I mean, you could go down the line and talk about all... First, we have the direct consequences, but then we have the unintended consequences, which we will never, we will not know for many, many years to come. Don, even now, even now we're seeing it as if history started yesterday. So the Biden administration is now undertaking seriously, as the Washington Post is, the notion that the origin of this virus may indeed very well have been if not uh, malfeasant, then misfeasant uh, in a virology lab. To talk about that a year ago was to get censored and banned on Facebook, quite literally. That changed quite literally yesterday. Um, we can do the same with almost every element of this virus where we were told to listen to experts. All of those experts we were told to listen to and none of the ones we were steered away from have been wrong consistently, whether it was about masks, whether it was about the development of the vaccine, whether it was about the vaccine in comparison to masks, whether it was masks protecting you or protecting the other guy, whether there was transmission without uh, 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 without asymptomatic transmission, whether you could go out. I mean, I could go five more minutes. Everything has changed. And yet. Those who challenged those things, people with names like Don Siegel or Heather MacDonald or Dennis Prager or um, Scott Atlas or Seth Liebson, they were the ones who were banned. They were the ones who were right. Can we pick up on this when we come back on the other side of the break? Absolutely. Love to do it. Our guest is Professor Don Siegel, found Donald S. Siegel, Foundation Professor of Public Policy and Management, School of Public Affairs at ASU. We will be right back. Delighted to be uh, rejoined by Professor uh, Donald Siegel at uh, ASU talking about his piece at the American Daily Independent, AmericanDailyIndependent.com, The Twilight Zone, Hogan's Heroes, and the Emotional Support Mask. Uh, let's walk through this a bit, Don. Um, you, uh, you brought into this discussion The Twilight Zone. I'd love you to unfold it. I, um, I, the Eye of the Beholder episode, which... It's probably one of two or three of the most famous episodes, uh, I would say, of, uh, of, 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 um, of that Twilight Zone. But tell us why you went there in discussing your piece. Because it uh, deals with the issue of what's normal and what's abnormal. And in, in the episode, uh, it, the plot centers on a woman who's undergoing plastic surgery for the 11th time because she is supposedly deformed. And during the entire episode, you don't see the face of the woman 
who's undergoing plastic surgery, but you're told constantly how hideous she is, how ugly she is. And the nurses and the doctors and the other people who attend to her in the hospital also have their faces shielded, so you don't see anyone. At the end of the episode, the bandages are removed from the woman's face, and we see, in fact, that the woman is actually beautiful, while the self-declared normal doctors and nurses are actually deformed and mutilated. And the lesson that I derive from that is that uh, you know, we're the ones, the people who choose to, to be maskless now are the ones who are normal, while the ones who want to keep us masked are the ones who are abnormal and want us to remain deformed and mutilated by wearing masks and, and the other uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions associated with the uh, state-run religion that was established last year. So it's time for the normal people to take control. And uh, uh, so that was the lesson that I learned from that episode. Uh, you know, it's and, funny, uh, that episode, there's a lot to it, and, and especially in how uh, you, uh, you, 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 you pitched it. Uh, professor, I'll tell you the thing that I keep thinking about, and it might you may or may not be familiar. It's an old essay by Kurt Vonnegut. It's called Harrison Bergeron. And in this society, uh, the beautiful people are covered up. The smart people have chips implanted in their heads that scatters their thoughts every minute or so. Um, the, the, this 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 is where my mind went with this uh, with this uh, notion. Of, of, of support masks, emotional support masks, because we find ourselves, don't we, under a kind of uh, series of edicts, if not born of law, then of panic, that has a half-life. So we don't – we've learned – we've known a lot about masks. Let me put it this way. And they were always at best dubious, okay? At best, at best in my view in research of the literature, dubious. We made a fascination and a, um, a, a, a passion of them to the point where even now where the laws have relaxed, many people have been conditioned through the panic and fear part to not let go of them such that you will now see people walking around with masks in rooms where most people don't have any. And what that tells me is the person wearing the mask doesn't quite understand the world we live in, because the mask was to protect the others, not yourself. Well, this is part of the most effective propaganda campaign in history. This, the establishment of this religion, and the and it, and it goes on, because now they're also ignoring natural immunity. You may have seen the piece by uh, Professor Mercari at uh, Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, he's fabulous. Yeah. Right? I mean, natural immunity has always been part of infectious disease. But all of a sudden, it's been expunged because it's not consistent with the propaganda campaign of getting everyone vaccinated. And Fauci's already admitted that he lied to us in the past mm-hmm. to get you know to get us to do certain things. And now the propaganda campaign is to get everyone vaccinated. Everyone, it sounds like to me. So they've been so effective in their propaganda campaign that people are walking around, I, I, we used this analogy in a previous essay, they're like Stalin's plucked chickens. 
Uh, have you ever heard that story? About no, but I am dying to. Please. Oh, well, uh, apparently at one point during his reign, Stalin uh, assembled his commissars, and he said, listen, I want to teach you a lesson about how to deal with the people. So he pulls out a chicken, and he plucks all the feathers out of the chicken, and the chicken is writhing in, plain, in pain, it's bloodied, and he says, now I want, you, I want to watch you. And of course, all the people are horrified by this. Why is this guy doing this? So he says, now I, I want to teach you a lesson. I want, to, I want you to watch. So he takes out a few breadcrumbs, and the plucked chicken starts following him around and clinging to his trousers. And Stalin supposedly said, well, that's, that's an important lesson for you. This is how you deal with the people. No matter how much pain you cause them, if you give them a few crumbs, they will follow you around and do what you want them to do. And so we've created this climate of fear. Uh, it's a combination of the infectious disease experts, the media, which, of course, this is so great for their business model, this fear-mongering, and, of course, politicians who played on the fear to impose the totalitarian policies, which, of course, are always successful, right, mm-hmm. quote-unquote. Uh, and they've created this group of cult followers who believe in this cult, who are convinced that it, you have to wear a mask, uh, and it's created this climate of fear. So I'm not surprised that people are clinging to it, and they like being part of a cult. I mean, it's attractive to them. It makes them feel, uh, for some reason, it makes them feel good. Is there a um, part of this, Professor Siegel, that's um, less prescriptive and more, shall we say, wishful? that there is an element of the society that's vested in having us think of ourselves as, in fact, a failed or rather sick society, that there are people who believe we are a sick society. They themselves may not or may be emotionally healthy. I I don't mean to cast an aspersion that way, but they may not be uh, emotionally healthy in every every sense, but they want us politically unhealthy in America. I think there are people who embrace the collectivist aspect of this, you know, this idea that your health is my responsibility, right. which is real driving this, is a, is a form of collectivism that they find appealing. Perfect. I mean, you have to have a sick mind, I think, to believe that. But <laughs> I want to do the Hogan's Heroes when we come back. Can I keep you for Hogan's Heroes? That's a great tease sure. for the audience. Sure. <laughs> Hogan's Heroes with Professor Don Siegel when we come right back, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My friends at Trades Unlimited are there for all your roofing needs. They are promoting their work on foam roofs and recoats right now. Not only do foam roofs help insulate from our extreme Arizona heat, but they help insulate your home from exterior noise and protect your house from water leaks. I've met the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been to their offices and warehouse. What a great company. What a great 
team with great people and a great work ethic. That's why they have an A-plus rating at the BBB, of course. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. The hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775 or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. We are privileged to have with us ASU professor Don Siegel. We're talking to him about uh, his piece in the um, American Daily Independent, and The Twilight Zone, Hogan's Heroes, and Emotional Support Mask. Professor, we did The Twilight Zone. Talk to me about the lessons from Hogan's Heroes. Well, you may recall from that series that a key character was uh, Colonel Wilhelm Klink. Right. The bungling, vain, cowardly, self-serving commandant of the Stalag. And in every episode, you hear this constant refrain, no one ever escapes from Stalag 13. So that's the, the one statistic that they focus on. Has anyone ever, ever uh, escaped? And that goes on throughout the entire show, while the Americans, led by Colonel Hogan, the, the prisoners of war, are simultaneously engaging in major sabotage and rescue operations against the Germans. And Clint uh, is considered a success by his superiors because of that. He's, he's uh, you know, no one has ever escaped. So the obsession with a single statistic brings to mind uh, the so-called war on the coronavirus, which is a classic example of what uh, political scientists call policy myopia, Uh, and that's what our infectious disease experts, you know, our new bureaucratic masters, have uh, imposed on us, with the support, of course, of politicians and, of course, the media, who love this uh, obsession with the pandemic. Uh, And these infectious disease experts have have taken over our lives. They they govern everything we do uh, because we let them. And they have this kind of myopic, maniacal focus on one variable, and nothing else matters. Even the so-called public health experts only focus on one infectious disease, and they don't care what happens to uh, to anyone. But uh, can I ask but- you something about, I don't know if this is public choice or what this is exactly, Professor Siegel. That there, there clearly is obviously that deep expertise and learning in science in epidemi- in virology or whatever their one specific area of knowledge in the epidemiologist's toolkit is. And I take the point very well and agree with you uh, that they only think about this one thing and uh, have policy myopia. But it's not as if medicine or medical science itself is myopic. There's an entire obviously medical area of expertise in industry and psychology and psychiatry. And there were great psychiatrists and psychologists throughout this pandemic, including in the administration, like Eleanor McCants-Gatz, talking about the psychological and psychiatric effects of this, and they got no play, none. It was weird. It was more than policy myopia, wasn't it? It was almost... Invincible ignorance, or plausible deniability, or something—I don't know what it was. Do you, do you, do I think you... it's a function of the fact 
that the infectious disease experts have fully captured the CDC. Okay. And everyone started uh, literally following all the guidelines of the CDC. And the, every single politician in America said, we're following the guidelines. Every single institution, there was widespread adoption of the policy recommendations of the infectious disease experts, which is the single greatest failure in public policy of all time, listening to these maniacal, myopic, infectious disease experts without taking, as you say, a more holistic approach to this. How does this affect the economy? How does it affect society? How does it affect psychological well-being, other aspects of public health? That was not factored at all into the policies. We, we went down the wrong road, and once you go down that road, most politicians don't have the courage to say, well, we were wrong. We should have done the, the great Parenton approach. We should have had focus protection rather than this collectivist nonsense that we went through where we made we placed 95% of the population under house arrest, locked down industries, and then you know, implemented these Stalinistic reopening plans, which are still going on. <laughs> this is still going on in certain parts of the country where, that are still subject to these uh, reopening plans. They only listen to the infectious disease experts uh, and Fauci and his game. And that was a real mistake. Fauci does not think of you and me as individuals. He thinks of us as germ factories, as amoeba, as paramecium in the experiment that he's running on us, the unethical experiment that he's running on you and our children. We, 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 you, you may recall when uh, the scarf lady was complaining about our independent streak. No. Remember right, that? Right, 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 right. They don't want us to be independent. They don't want us to make up our own minds. They want us to be compliant, to be subjects. Subjects have no rights, uh, obviously, I, did you ever provide informed consent for this experiment? I never did. <laughs> I did not either. I, I, you know, when I do an experiment, I go to my institutional review board, and I have to get the informed consent of each of my subjects and inform them of the risks, the cost, the duration of my experiment. Has that ever been done? No, no. No, they keep extending the experiment. Uh, and this is why I'm, uh, you know, Rob and I are so appalled by this. The experiment goes on. It continues to this day. They're still experimenting with my kids, and I don't like it. <laughs> Professor Don Siegel, bless you, sir, and thank you. You're welcome, sir. As always. I'm Seth Liebson, yeah, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. If you're thinking about uh, going solar and ditching the utility bills that you have gotten used to in their frequency but not used to in their escalating prices, you want to reach out to Solar Sandy. She is the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona in part by being 
the one solar company that actually has figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. When you do go solar, it's important to do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way, for she has the formula. And if you sign up now, she'll pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, as well as you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. Read her testimonials or the customer's testimonials on her website, AskSolarSandy.com. They're amazing. Sandy has an extremely wonderful reputation for her honesty and her hard work. If you've been burned before, give her a call. She's known for her trustworthiness and integrity. Give her a call at 623-850-8229 or go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Jeff is in Phoenix. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Seth. How's it going? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm great. Hey, I got two comments, and I want to ask you a question. Uh, first comment was the other night, Tuesday night, great job. Uh, fabulous uh, as far as your narrating and everything. And I think you asked them some really pointed questions. Uh, it, and some of those uh, moments in there were very emotional. And very I was going to say, so, uh, first of all, thank you. It was an emotional evening in a way that I had not uh, been used to. Uh, wasn't it for you? Interestingly so. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's what... I have to tell you, Seth, that that's what I'm looking for right now. Good. I want to look at people's true character, what they're really about. And when you talk about something, you know, I, there's a lot of fake airs out there. There's a lot of actors out I mean, for example, what Paul Ryan's supposed to be talking about right. tonight. Right. This guy's supposed to rep- represent conservatives. What a joke. Yep. Anyway, the other comment is... Well, but, um, but, but stay with that half a sec, Jeff, because okay. what you saw on that stage tonight... Uh, Winston Churchill says that the most important job of the political scientist is to see... The difference between reality uh, to see things as they really are is how he put it to see things as they truly are, I should say. And what you saw, I think, on that stage when describing that emotion uh, on having to do with what some of the most fundamental things, the success and survival of America, um, the importance of liberty in the absence of tyranny. We saw grown men on stage cry. Yeah. And and, in the audience. Exactly. Exactly. And the audience wept with them. We know what the real thing is and what we saw. We saw the real thing Tuesday night. Thank you for being part of it. And and that's the whole thing is making that connection, making that humanity connection. Human beings. We're not drones on phones. We're not clones. We're not this garbage. We're not everybody going to wear. Just like your guest was saying. There's the people with masks and the people that we want to eliminate humanity. We don't want people looking in the eye. We don't want them talking anymore. Anyway, uh, it's, I, I don't know if you just listened to the last, past, the last news story or the news break there. They were talking about the NBA and how some fans were acting out. And I have to just absolutely laugh. The irony of this, that these guys support Black Lives Matter, Antifa, China, and they are afraid people are going to throw popcorn at them and they're kicking them out. What did the uh, – I don't know the story. What what were the fans doing? Were they rowdy? Were they politically so they had, rowdy or just rowdy? That they said the NBA cracked down on – or four, three teams or two teams or something cracked down on some fans. Mm. Two fans got kicked out for – or three – I don't know the exact numbers. I'm with some you. fans got no. kicked out for verbal abuse. No. One fan got kicked out for throwing popcorn at one of the players. Mm-hmm. I think it was Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And then one fan got uh, kicked out for something else, and I don't remember what it was. I see. But I just find – this should be a comedy skit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have the Antifa outside destroying things, right. and then they come in and they throw some popcorn, and uh-oh, let's get him out, get the handcuffs out. 
<laughs> you know, there's that. There's the notion of subjecting yourself to a security check before going in. There's the notion of requiring identification if you're picking up your tickets at will call. And there's the notion of uh, security around uh, the players themselves, all of which are all we're asking for America. That's all we're asking for America. Yeah, it, just do the same We'd thing like security around our country because we think we're as important as uh, as, uh, as, uh, as 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 LeBron, and well, why uh, does the business owner in Seattle uh, that has a mom and pop store, ha- people have the right to bust right. his windows and burn his store? You're right. I mean, come on. You're right. But Nancy Pelosi and LeBron James can have the height of the best security possible. Right. Okay. Question: Could you expand on what Kelly Ward was talking about? About having some sort of show or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do it real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of our shows, we have a lot of shows over the weekend. We don't stop broadcasting on the weekends, and they're available for people to uh, promote and produce themselves. And Kelly and our GM have been in uh, talks about uh, having Kelly Ward have her own show on the weekend. Uh, she just needs to find, as I think she mentioned. Uh, uh, sponsorship for it, uh, so you can reach out to her at the AZGOP if that is something that interests you. Of course, be great to have her as part of the team. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Tuesday night, one of the things that Dr. Gorka was talking about is the role we each have in standing up for what we believe in and not being cowed by friends on Facebook or elsewhere. If you, for example, he told a story, if, if, you're, if you um, are too nervous to post a picture of you and someone you asked to take a picture with, like Gorka, on Facebook because of the reaction, um, you're a peacetime conservative at best. Tell you who's not. This just popped up, irrespective of anything. Um, uh, well, this just popped up, and I, it, it was a beautiful moment, and it's a lesson on how to fight. And it's from Clarence Thomas's hearings in 1991, with Orrin Hatch leading the questioning, and Joe Biden sitting quiet, quietly by. There's some awkward silence. I think it's important. I'd like to close with this warrior. Some people have been spreading the rumor that perhaps you're going to withdraw. What's what's Clarence Thomas going to do? I'd rather die than withdraw. If they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. So you'd still like to serve on the Supreme Court? I'd rather die than withdraw from the process. Not for the purpose of serving on the Supreme Court, but for the purpose of not being driven out of this process. I would not be scared. I don't like bullies. I've never run from bullies. I never cry uncle, and I'm not going to cry uncle today whether I want to be on the Supreme Court or not. And he never has. That's how you fight. That's a fighter. By the way, did anyone talk about all the death threats against Clarence Thomas? Or is that only a new thing when it's a Democrat? What that man went through and what he showed us you could do in winning by standing up and fighting back and not let the bullies have the last word. Till tomorrow, folks. God bless you all. Class dismissed.